Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me a top commercial broker for Compass, Hal Sawick. Hey, Hal, how are you? Good. How are you today? I'm great, Hal. Uh, before we start talking about commercial real estate, especially here on the East End, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Okay. Okay. You were born and bred in Manhattan. What was it like growing up as a kid in the city? Well, I actually was born and bred in Brooklyn. Ah. So, yes. <laughs> and I actually, born, I was born and bred in Sheepshead Bay is where I lived. Okay. Through high school and I guess, you know, college during vacations. Um, and it was actually a very quasi-suburban neighborhood. So I was always on my bicycle, always at the park, always playing ball, just normal things. Did you and, ever take like the subway into the city? Of course. Yes. Okay. Especially as soon as we were old enough and were allowed to, we used to take the subway to Yankee Stadium. We used to go to the concerts in Central Park. Um, we used to, yes, exactly. I mean, and quite as soon as I graduated college, I couldn't afford the city yet, but had an apartment in Forest Hills for two years, okay. which was just a 20 minute subway ride away from the city and where I worked. And then two years after I graduated college, I did move into the city for 16 years before I moved to the East End. Wow. I bet you wouldn't take the subway now. Um, actually, sometimes when I would not this year with what's going on, but I, I would go into the city. A Usually like every six weeks, I'd go into the city um, for like three days. And, you know, my son was younger. He loved just going into the city. And quite honestly, sometimes it was just quicker to take the subway than a taxi. Oh, yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Yes. Now, one of the things I, I you got out of school, did you go right into advertising? Yes, that was I went. I basically found an entry level job in advertising and I stayed in advertising for 18 years. Doing what? Um, two firms for about eight or nine years and then a couple of short stints in the middle. Um, so I spent the last nine years of my career at the YNR, Young and Rubicamp companies. Right. And then I just decided one day it was time to give up corporate America and move out here full time where I had never even had a house. Um, and everybody said to me, well, what are you going to do the day after Labor Day? Because actually I closed on the house I purchased in the beginning of June. And I said, I'm going to go to the beach. And that's what I did the day after Labor Day. Um, and it was and no looking for, back. <laughs> and no, no looking it was beautiful the month of September. But then once you got to the middle of October, the weather started changing. There was less people around. Remember, this was 20 some odd years, 20 years ago. Right. And I decided I really need to do something. So I, I purchased the um, two Bookhampton stores from the original founders. And then I had purchased a restaurant in Sag Harbor. It was the Paradise. It's now the Lulu's building. Well, let me ask you a question. Were you a restaurateur? Not at all. I was just one of those people who said this would be fun. And I'll just hire 
you know, people to run it, which I did. I had an executive chef, a general manager, and of course, the general manager lasted two weeks, and I ended up being the general manager. So I ran the restaurant for three years and decided I did not want to do this anymore. I then um, just rented it out and became a landlord. And after I left that, people would ask me to help them. I want to sell my building. I want to sell my business just for advice. And I never, without any intention, it just evolved that I was getting involved with, you know, consulting on commercial businesses and properties. And so I went for my real estate license and I, um, that's the rest is history. So it's been about 19 years that I've been involved with commercial um, transactions, basically selling of buildings, businesses, leasing for restaurants and retail and commercial industrial. And um, it was never intended that I would be doing this. But, yeah, but you're doing out. quite well. I, I imagine in the beginning, it might have been a little difficult because um, were there many properties, commercial properties for sale at that time? There were less and people are not trustworthy of new people entering the commercial marketplace because you really need to understand a lot of the particulars in reference to zoning and each community is different and each building is different in what you can do. It took a while to be accepted and respected. And, but, you know, year by year, the clientele grew and the referrals grew. And a lot of the attorneys and the accountants were recommending me um, to their clients because they saw that at least I was looking at it from a business perspective. So it's been, it's actually, this is the 20th year that I've been involved in commercial real estate. Wow. I mean, it's totally different residential and commercial. Um, you talk about the uh, art and science of commercial real estate. Yes. Can you, can you elaborate about that? Um, oh, there's two parts to commercial. One part is the numbers part. It's the scientific part. It is what is the value of a business? What is the value of a business, of a, of a property? What is it worth? currently and then what happens if you renovate it what is what's the potential what it can be worth that's the science part it's the numbers part the art is sort of matching people to different properties people will come to us just like in residential i want to buy a restaurant in amagansett but at the end of the day working with them it turns out that what really makes sense for them is a takeout market in Southampton or something. It's really trying to match the people with what really makes sense for them, what they would be best at, and where they can also um, do well at, do well. Right, right. Um, can you give us a little education, like, for example, on the cap rate? A lot of people aren't familiar with that, but that's something that's you know, used in commercial real estate. Can you tell yes. us about what a cap rate is? That is when we're trying to figure out what is the value of a building. And a lot of people come and they purchase buildings just from an investment perspective. Most of the buildings in the main, in the business districts and all the communities are owned by investors, not users. I think 20, 30, 40 years ago, most of the buildings were owned by users. They had their business and they had, they own the real estate. Now it's mostly investors. So investors look at what is the net income for the building? 
and they want to make a certain return on the building. Um, and it will vary that if they're going to spend $5 million on a building, they used to want, depending on the location and the condition of the building, it's based what's their rate of return. The cap rate is the rate of return. Um, it used to be 5% would be the standard within a, the business district. Then it went down to four and a half. Then with the recession, it went back to six. Then it went back to five. Now it's between five and 6%. You know, it's return on investment based right. upon the rent roll and the expenses, the building based upon the net income. So a lot of the um, properties that you have uh, exclusives on, um, you get you have a cap rate that's that's at high at six percent because I recall years five ago. or six percent yes really that's excellent you know because it depends on the, the condition of the building the location of the building if it's a prime I mean I have a building in contract um, that wasn't even on the market in one of the villages in a prime location a beautiful building um, we got a four and a half per cap but that's low. Oh, interesting. Because this I, potential, I, this I've, growth potential. I've had uh, you know some commercial investors in the past years, uh, you know, approach me about uh, commercial property, and they say, "Well, geez, you know, uh, with that kind of cap rate, I can go up island and get a a, a property there, you know, eight nine percent." Absolutely. So how, in how, fact, how a lot people, of go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, a lot of people will come to me. And they said, I want to invest in commercial properties in the East End. And I tell them, you know, the cap rates are five to six percent. And they say Westchester, Manhattan, Up Island, a lot of are, are higher cap rates. And that's the truth. Right. And so sometimes people will not invest here because the rate of return is lower. But a lot of the purchases are vanity purchases. They can say, I own that building on Main Street in Southampton or Bridgehampton or Sag Harbor. Um, if they have a house out here, people need to have an affinity out here to own commercial property. Most of the investors, you know, and they are from generally Manhattan, they do have like second homes out here. Um, but in fact, I'm selling a property now. I've brought an offer to somebody for a property she's owned for about 25 years. So she's made a good return. It's the height of the market in the Hamptons for commercial. So she's selling the property and she just wants to do a 1031 exchange. So she doesn't need to pay taxes, just invest the money in another investment property. And I think she's getting about $250,000 in net income now. And you know, we both agreed that she would get more for her money outside of the East End. So she's selling her property here and she's going to invest the, the funds someplace else. Hmm. Now, okay. Um, why is that uh, commercial negotiations take longer than say a residential, especially with the market so hot now? Well, because remember, nobody needs a, a commercial property except if they have a specific business they want to put in there. Um, and commercial properties, there's a lot of zoning issues. Um, a lot of times commercial properties, the current owners have added on to the property, don't necessarily have, didn't necessarily get permission. 
So there are certain violations. There's things that need to be cleared up. Sometimes you have to remove accessory structures. Anytime you're purchasing a commercial property, you also have to have an environmental study done. The banks require it. And even if you're not financing it, you need to have um, an environmental study done. And a lot of times, if there was a buried oil tank years ago that was abandoned, there could be a leak, which is nothing major. And so you need to do what's called a phase one. And sometimes the phase one will turn up, okay, there's a leak from an old oil tank, or there's something a little worse, and you have to remediate it. And that can take a while. Um, the commercial lending process takes longer than a residential process. You can get approval and close on a residential house within 30 days. Um, not so from a commercial perspective, from the after the recession, things got a lot stricter at the recession. So it's environmental, it's inspections. Um, there's more, you know, complicated and more aspects to a commercial inspection and financing as well. Wow. So I I have property. I have a property closing next week that we had a deal in January. I had something else that we had a deal in March that's not going to close till next February. I have something else where it's a change of use that we're just going for a variance from the town of East Hampton. And it's from, it's to an approved use, but we went before the, we started this process just as COVID was beginning. And um, it's, we're going to get final approval next month. It's going to be a two-year process. So if you're in commercial real estate, you really have to be a patient man. Very patient. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If somebody wants to get in touch with a patient man like yourself, how can they, they reach you, Hal? Um, I am at Compass. I'm the director of commercial real estate at Compass. I, my, it's hal.zwick at compass.com. Um, we also have Hamptons Commercial RE is our specific website. I have a team I work with. And my phone number is 631-678-2460. Hal Swick, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay where you are because we'll be right back after the short break with our next guest, Chris Nuzzi of Advantage Title. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the Executive Vice President of Advantage Title, Chris Nuzzi. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are Good. you, John? Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's been a while since you've been on the program. Uh, you know, we've been doing this now for 10 years, and uh, I thought you should come back again and, and talk about title insurance. Glad to be back on, and thanks for the invitation. You got it. Uh, Chris, I was going to say, before we talk about uh, title insurance, uh, you grew up in East Hampton. Um, what kind of changes have you seen on the East End since you were a kid? Well, a, lo a lot of changes. Um, you know, the community certainly uh, progressed in terms of population and, and people from different, different areas, you know, seeing and wanting to enjoy the beauty that we all know, um, you know, being residents here. And, and, and I grew up out on the East End, grew up in East Hampton where my mom and dad still are. So, uh, you know, to the extent that's been discovered, I think that happened some time ago. And, and uh, you know, we're all very lucky to share such a special place. 
Yeah, that's uh, so true. It is true. Um, at one point, you were on the uh, Southampton Town Board. Uh, when was that? I was a uh, town council member between 2006 and the beginning of 2014. Wow. Okay. So that's that's quite a, you know, that must have been quite a journey. You know, it's interesting, you know, uh, the elections uh, just went by and uh, uh, one of the placards I saw on the road said, you know, fix the fix traffic was and vote for certain alphabet rows. Uh, I bet the issue of fixing the traffic issues came up when you were on the board. And and the question I have is, can the traffic be fixed? I think that's a perennial issue that comes up every every year and probably has gone on and on for decades, right? And as more and more people have come to discover and enjoy this area, especially on a year-round basis, I think uh, all, all elected officials have found and, and our um, community has found it's a really difficult thing to effectively address. And I think to a certain extent, it's, it is what it is um, outside of trying to incorporate other modes of public transportation, like the train and the commuter service. Um, there's going to be a certain level of traffic that I think we, we're going to have to endure uh, certain times of the year. And uh, it's just uh, is what it is to, to live here. And in, in, as we said, in, in this special place. Yeah. You know, it's so when I saw that that placard, I thought to myself, right. OK, <laughs> <laughs> whoever has the uh, as the answer to that, the magic answer to that. Will That's the guy I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what led you into title insurance and what, you know, were, you I, doing, what were you doing before title insurance? I was, you know, as I said, grew up on the on the eastern end of Long Island, um, you know, and spend a lot of time on the South Fork and. North Fork and Shelter Island and, you know, was really intrigued with real estate, always, you know, loved the geography, the differences in the areas. And, you know, that kind of naturally progressed into wanting to be involved in one form or another in real estate. You know, prior to that, I was involved in, in local government. Um, even before being a member of the town board, I worked for various municipalities and, you know, really enjoyed getting uh, to know people and, and representing people in the community on uh, that level and trying to make certain changes within within local government that we could affect that would positively impact our community. So, you know, that started with that. And, and, and as I said, growing up here, I just love the differences in the communities and the geography of the different areas of the Eastern and Long Island. And it kind of you know, grew into a, a, a position in the field of real estate. Interesting. Um, so what is title insurance? So title insurance ensures that the purchaser owns the property that they're buying, just put simply. Um, it ensures that individual against any defects in the chain of title or any mortgages or judgments or liens against the property. Um, and for the, the banks, you know, the mortgagor, um, it ensures that uh, they have a right to execute a mortgage encumbering that property. And what happens if, uh, okay, you buy the insurance and all of a sudden down the road, a couple of years go by, and there's some issue that, you know, uh, resurrects its head, um, what happens? You would, in theory, be covered for that issue. If it was a, a judgment or a lien that was missed, assuming there was no exception in the policy, then, um, you know, to, to the extent the purchaser's liable, they would be covered by the title insurance company. And, you know, the, the, the one, you know, distinctive thing about title insurance versus other types of insurance, just to for the consumer to keep in mind is that it's a one-time purchase happens at the closing table in New York, the buyer pays it and it's not a renewable thing. You are insured for the lifetime that you own that 
particular piece of property uh, different from other insurance policies like your vehicle on your vehicle or your homeowner's insurance. Uh, this is a one-time fee that's assessed to the buyer at the closing. Interesting. Um, you know, I was thinking you've probably seen those commercials about uh, uh, protect yourself against somebody stealing your home, you know, taking title to your home. Does the title insurance protect you against that? Uh, and how does that happen? Um, it, yes, uh, it would. I've seen those commercials. I don't know a lot about that service. Um, you know, from our perspective, you know, at the time of purchase, at the closing, a purchaser uh, has a policy that protects them against any potential defects in, in ownership, in the chain of ownership, or any potential judgments or liens that may come up against the property that were unfounded at the time of closing. So, um, you know, as it relates to how somebody would go and, and, and try to you know, manipulate a deed so that they claim ownership of something that isn't, uh, I, you know, I don't know a lot about that service and what you see on TV advertising uh you know that type of service right right yeah it, it's fun it's it, it you know makes me think when i see that commercial i say okay how does that work but anyway um what are the fees for uh title insurance i mean how's that determined so so the fees are st are set uh by the state uh they are regulated by new york state uh in this case the uh, department of financial services and there's no negotiation on the insurance premium. They have uh, to do, they are directly related to the amount of the uh, purchase or purchase amount uh, and the amount of the mortgage. So no negotiation amongst title companies. I think what really separates companies is, is, is knowledge and service um, and ability to really see through some of the nuanced things that come up uh, in these transactions in particular out here on the East End of Long Island. Hmm. Um, I know besides doing title insurance, you also help people with zoning issues and, and permits. Can you explain how and what are some of the issues that might arise? Absolutely. So as a component, and you probably know, know well, John, as a component of these transactions, a lot of times there will be zoning issues that come up or zoning questions that come up, uh, issues with uh, permits. Right. Uh, pools or decks or finished basements that were done without the benefit of a permit, um, other questions relating to building out a property and what you're entitled to do. And I found that, that you know, my time and experience in local government and understanding the zoning regulations has been very helpful uh, to, to clients, um, the purchasers and sellers as well, uh, as it relates to, to just walking them through that process and helping them getting those building permits or getting that finished basement legalized or that deck legalized or getting that updated certificate of occupancy, which if it's not mandated by a village and in many village, villages out in the East End, it is uh, something that you must do, but in the towns, it's not mandated, but it ends up in a purchase contract anyway. So that updated CFO is an important component of the transaction and getting to the closing table and uh, those are things that I oftentimes, uh, you know, will help with just to right. assist in the process. Well, that's great. Uh, so that's good to know. Um, one of the things I was thinking about that, uh, do you recommend that sellers maybe uh, do a title search to, to find things? Because I've had uh, sellers come to me and saying, oh, I see you have uh, everything CO'd. And they say, oh, absolutely. And I said, and you have a new deck there. Did you get the CO for that? And they say, well, you know, this, this contractor, I know him. I'm sure he applied for that. And of course, there's no CO. 
Yeah, I, yeah I, I always recommend to to sellers, and I know you know we've got a, a great group of local real estate agents, local attorneys as well, who I know are diligent in recommending to potential sellers in particular that you know do, do your homework on making sure everything is permitted and, and, and legal as it relates to local zoning. And then from a title perspective, uh, there are times where we'll do due diligence work for clients on uh, any potential issues or impacts uh, against the property. Are there any judgments or liens? Or what are the amount of the mortgages? Have they all been satisfied? Um, you know, who's on the deed? All of those types of questions that are title related that uh, we take care of for our clients uh, every day. I know. You know, a lot of times people think that they've paid off the uh, their mortgage and they never get satisfaction, you know, of the mortgage. So, um, so I guess you help in that issue also, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot, of, and and that those are ops can be an obstacle to closing. If you can't, if a mortgage has not been satisfied, you can't show that leading up to the closing. They can be obstacles in terms of time uh, in getting that that deal closed. So, yeah, you know, those are things that come up as a component of the title report. Very important. Uh, in in moving something from contract to closing, and we uh, we are involved in 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 those searches all the time, and not just when a particular order comes in on an actual transaction, but sometimes uh, in due diligence. And we also have you know on, a, on the buyer side, we have uh, clients who will call us and say you know hey hey Chris, can you get us? Um, the covenants and restrictions against the property, or can you can you show us if there's an easement that allows access to the water um, for this particular piece of property? Because something like that can affect value. So uh, any number of things that uh, we're involved in on a daily basis, but we certainly um, you know want everyone to know that uh, we are a partner through the process and, and long before even getting into contract. So do you think a seller should uh, contact you before they even? get a, an offer on a property? In other words, uh, from their standpoint, that make the, the sale go easier? Or would you suggest maybe a, a real estate agent to do the work? Or Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, I, either. Sometimes a, a seller or, or a real estate agent who's prepared to take a listing has particular questions. And, and it doesn't necessarily come up on every, every file, but there are some where you may have particular questions. And, uh, you know, in those instances, we certainly are always willing to to help and, and figure those issues or work through those issues before uh, they become issues, Good. or discover whether in fact they they actually are or are not uh, a problem. I recall when I first uh, bought my first home that the attorney at the time at the closing uh, leaned over to me and said, uh, uh, "You have to give the title guy uh, a tip." And where did that come from? Do you know offhand? I don't know. I think kind of customary in the industry. You know, keep in mind that that the title closers are uh, responsible for supervising the execution of the documents. They're at the closing table. Um, they're putting everything together and getting it to the title company for eventually, uh, eventually being recorded, um, taxes being paid, remitted to the state, uh, etc. So um, they are really an, an integral part of the process and. Where that uh, um, you know that came about or or how I don't I don't know but uh, I guess I guess just as a as a component of the process or an appreciation of of the work that they're doing to get a file closed and and I would add that that in particular throughout the past year and a half now in the, in the midst of this pandemic 
you know, our title closures are, are, are running from office to office and picking up documents and executing the closing and getting them to the title company at a time when it wasn't easy for people to get together. So uh, they were really instrumental in helping to facilitate um, these closings. And, and I cert- certainly appreciate the work that they've done. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal when you think about it. Yeah. Um, how can somebody get in contact with you if they have further questions, especially if they need some uh, help from you? Sure. Well, they can call me anytime uh, at 631-424-6100 or email me at cnuzzy at advantagetitle.com. Chris Nuzzi, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting on the only NPR station on Long Island, right here on Hill Street in the vibrant village of Southampton on WLIW 88.3 FM. If you're interested in hearing this program and other podcasts, go to WLIW.org slash radio. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to have a safe and awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.